Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Good morning again, church family. Visitors, we welcome you here with open arms and big smiles. We will continue in our series in Hebrews chapter 12. If you have a Bible and you would like to go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, please go ahead and do so. We're going to begin today with a famous quote from A.W. Tozer. Many of you have read this and quoted this several times. And he said this many years ago, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'd just love to start off and just by saying as a church, it is our greatest desire that all teaching and all preaching from children to youth to adults to, to all ages that flows within and throughout this church body that it would be done in such a way that is accurate according to the Word of God so that the character of God is being represented for who He is so that the people of God are being moved and captivated by how He's revealing Himself. And we pray that the overflow of that is into your personal life. We pray that each and every time we gather together and each and every time you open up the Word of God, that you are expecting God to speak to you. I, I would encourage anyone to, to, to pray that even right now. Lord, I'm expecting you. I am asking you to speak to me so that I could think rightly of you today in accordance to your word. And so what we, what we recognize, and, and many, of this, many of us have experienced this, is whenever a person has the wrong understanding of the character of God. That can take us down all kinds of places. Esau had a shallow understanding of the Word of God. We looked at him last week, and because he had a shallow understanding of God, he made a really poor choice, a foolish choice, and he traded his blessing, his birthright, for a bowl of soup. And so we might could sum up the aim of the book of Hebrews in, in, a, in a really short statement, being mindful that the recipients of this letter then, and, 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 and it could be us today, were so close to turning away. We're so close to going back to the law. We're so close to really just saying, I'm not really sure this whole gospel thing is actually the fulfillment of Scripture, and, and I'm just not sure I think I'll go back. And, and, and so we could probably sum up the aim of the letter by simply saying the author of this letter wanted the recipients of the letter to be thinking rightly of God so that they could move from their discouragement and their struggles into a relationship with God that was fulfilling and, and, and inspiring to their faith. And so think about this for a moment. Many of us in this room have struggled at points, at times in our past, with our salvation. And the things, the questions that fueled those, those struggles were, were, were kind of revolved around this idea of, did I pray the right prayer? Did I feel the right feelings? Did I cry enough tears? Was my repentance good enough for God to accept it? Did I, did I, did I? Now, so let me ask you this. 
how would you put into words the value of coming to that place in life where you realize it wasn't about what I did, it's actually my faith in what he has already done. How would you put into words the value of being of knowing and being secure in your salvation simply by coming to him in faith and realizing, man, Jesus took my sin upon the cross, was buried and raised from the dead to freely give me everlasting life. I simply have learned to take God at his word, saved and secure. How would you put, how would you measure the worth of that peace and that assurance? That's, that's essentially what the book of Hebrews is trying to help the recipients to get, to understand. Because when life begins to, to, to go difficult, maybe you've, had, maybe you've had a challenging week, whenever life takes a tough turn, we can tend to start thinking, maybe I've missed something with God. Maybe I never actually got right with God the first time. Maybe, maybe this is, this is God um, punishing me, or, or maybe I don't even belong to him. And these doubts and these confusions can begin to set in. Well, what's, what's amazing is once you're secure and you're sure on what the Bible says. And as a church, we, we, we make it our aim to make, to help. We'll, we'll spend as much time as necessary to help anyone be clear and confident on what the word of God says about being secure in your salvation to know for you to know that there is not one degree of hell's heat that will ever be felt upon the nerve cells within your skin is, is, is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so the, the, the timing of today's message or today's text with today's date, October 31st, 2021, just fascinates me because when we put the sermon schedule together, we didn't plan this out. It just really landed um, about a week or two ago because there was a man 504 years ago that on this day, October 31st, 1517, he was not only set free, but he made it his endeavor to help others be set free from the thing that we have just been talking about. Martin Luther, prior to this moment in history, if we could go backwards in time, about six years, was a man in law school. And one day after escaping a really dangerous um, thunderstorm, he, he felt like, man, God's trying to get my attention. So he went off to a monastery to become a monk. And his thinking was, if I could fully devote myself to God and separate myself from the world and to God, I would earn favor with God. God will be proud of me. I will get in good standing with God and he will find me worthy of his salvation. Well, after two years of wrestling in, in, in this monastery with those questions, there came a time when Martin Luther spent more than six hours confessing his sins to the priest. And after that six hours was up, he went back to his room and he felt pretty good about it. Man, there can't be anything left unconfessed. But then he started feeling so good about his confession that he said, man, that's prideful. So he had to go back and confess. Do you feel the struggle? And so he was instructed to leave the monastery he was instructed to go and, and enroll in, in, to go to Wittenberg, Germany and, and enroll at the university and study theology. And after about three years of studying the word of God, 
one day, what was written in the scriptures became written on Martin Luther's heart. And he broke free that the one who has faith in the gospel is saved, is secure, and has peace everlasting plus nothing. And so uh, during this time, he began to realize, man, there's a lot of other people that are just like I was. In fact, a lot of the teaching and preaching that's flowing out of the Catholic Church at this time is actually confusing people about the character of God. And so, and because of that, they're miserable and they're afraid. And so Martin Luther began to sit down and write his 95 thesis based upon the Word of God. And, and when he went on October 31st to nail that 95 thesis to the door, essentially what he was doing is refuting the fact that indulgences or any kind of payment can be purchased in this life with money or other things for your sins or for the sins of someone that had went on and that had died before you as if they were in a waiting place of torture needing you to come purchase and help shorten their time so that they can get out and get into heaven. He, he went and he nailed this thesis statement to the church doors. It was quickly taken down, it was quickly copied, and it, it spread to the churches all around Germany and all around Rome. And what happened is the false teaching and preaching that was misrepresenting the beauty of the gospel began to no longer accomplish the work that it had before. People weren't showing up saying, man, I need to buy, I need to pay for my sins or the sins of the loved ones. And so he was immediately called to come and face up for what he had done and take it back, recant. And after about 60 days went by and he had a day of prayer, in summary, Martin Luther stood before the council knowing this was going to risk his life, knowing that this would mean he's excommunicated from the, from the, from the area and from the church. And he, has, he essentially said this, unless convicted by the Holy Scriptures, I cannot, I will not recant. Here I stand, so help me God. And it is here with Hebrews 12 open, with this in mind, that I would invite you to stand in reverence and honor for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible words, seeking to understand what is God saying to the church then and today. Hebrews 12 would go on to say this in verse 18. For you have not... Come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. 
Let's pray. Father, it is here with your word open that we seek to hear and to understand you. If you don't speak and if your spirit doesn't guide, we get nothing. But we thank you that you're a good, good father. You've met with us and you want our eyes to be open. You want us to hear from heaven and you want us to see you and to think rightly about you and to let that reality change how we go forward with our lives. Free us of the burdens that we've carried this week, Father, and help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear now. In Jesus' name, amen. So that section of scripture, you would probably agree, is not really that commonly, not not really a common kind of read scripture in church or, or from Sunday to Sunday. But let's, let's break it down and let's seek to understand what it is that God is saying to us today. So we're mindful of the recipients of this letter and where they were in their walk of faith. So let's kind of pick up from where we left off last week. Last week, the text was pointing us to two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and it was intentionally focusing on Esau and the choice that he made to exchange his birthright for a bowl of soup. To really get us to understand, we can all become like Esau and make a foolish decision. God wants us to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God wants us to reverence him and see him in such a way that it moves how we relate to people. Well, today the text moved from two brothers to two mountains. So just imagine in your mind you have one mountain. Verse 18 through 21, Mount Sinai. The text has taken us back to Exodus chapter 20, one year into the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And then the text looks at another mountain, verse 22 through 24, which is Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the mountain that the city of Jerusalem was built upon. But the text is trying to get us to look beyond the physical city to a heavenly city, a heavenly Jerusalem that will one day come, come down and we will live and dwell there forever in all those who've trusted in Christ. And so notice what it said in the first paragraph. As we look at Mount Sinai, there's that endure word coming up again. The text goes back and says, look, when this moment occurred in Exodus chapter 20, The mountain was dark. God's presence and his holiness filled the mountain and came down and met with the people. And as God began to speak, they couldn't endure what what was spoken. In fact, the people were begging him to speak no more. Now, you kind of just step back and think, well, what? I mean, that's God. What? I mean, he wants to speak and he wants us to hear from him. What what exactly was he doing? And, and, And... When we keep going, we realize that no one could even touch the mountain. If an animal got close to the mountain, it was going to die. And and, and God said, look, if an animal gets close, don't go touch the animal as it touches the mountain. You'll die with it. Hit it with a stone, shoot it with an arrow, but I don't want you to die in my presence. And so this was so climactic that Moses himself, as we read, was afraid and trembling. So what what was going on? Hebrews 12 wants us to pause for a moment and say, whew, I wasn't there. 
Thank God. Verse 18, for you have not come to that mountain. You weren't there. And so here's, here's the observation, and then let's build off of it from this paragraph. The fear of God is a good thing. It's meant to protect us from foolish choices. So follow me here. When someone uses fear to try to manipulate and control decisions you make, but it's misrepresenting the character of God, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. God wants us to think rightly about him. So how can the fear of God be a good thing? Well, when we look back in context at Esau, we would all agree. Esau had no reverence for God. He had no fear of God. And so because of that, he sold something that was precious to God as worthless to himself. Following me? And then the text said in verse 16 of last week that Esau was a fornicator who is sexually immoral and he was profane. So because Esau had no fear of God, he was a very foolish, rebellious person. Well, the people that are in the wilderness are the descendants of Jacob. They're, they're the, the descendants of Esau's brother Jacob. And now there's about a million of them. And the text is helping us to see, it don't matter if you're Jacob. It don't matter if you're Esau. It don't matter really who you are. We can all be foolish like Esau was. And so when you go back to Exodus 20, here's what we find. The people had been in slavery and they cried out to God. Moses comes riding into town and Moses says, look, I've heard from God in the burning bush. He's heard your cries. He saw your oppression. He's going to rescue you. Fast forward through all the plagues. Fast forward through the Passover. And then they get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh had let them go. And they get to the Red Sea. And they look back and Pharaoh's army's coming to kill them. And the first thing that they said was, Oh God, we trust you. You brought us out here. You're going to make a way when there seems to be no way. They didn't say that. They looked at Moses and said, you brought us out here to die. There wasn't enough graves in Egypt to bury us, so you've brought us to the desert to die. There's no reverence for God here. So God parts the water. They move into the wilderness. And a year later, they have grumbled about the water. They've complained about the manna. God's leading them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. And when you read Exodus 20 and back... It's complaint, 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 complaint. And here's, you remember what God is doing? God is trying to establish a new nation. And so when we pause right here, we recognize that the people can become foolish in their way of thinking and they can quickly stray from God. If they go into a new nation and the, new, and the, and the other people are worshiping false gods, how quickly the people can be like, oh, let's get along. Let's, let's just get along. You ever went to college? You ever went to work? You ever went to school? And when you made new friends and you began to hang around new people, suddenly they began to influence you and the influence on you wasn't a good one. And so the picture here is God wants the fear and the reverence of him to be a good thing to protect us from making a foolish choice with our life. Let's think of it this way. Proverbs 1 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning, not the end, the, the starter for knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and destruction. 
God isn't going to start a nation with people that despise him. All right, so now let's go on and let's think about what Proverbs will go on to say about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Let's put all this together. If you're in Exodus chapter 20, you've been set free from slavery, but you're wishing you could go back. You have forgotten what God really delivered you from. How quickly and easily it can be for us to get so secure in our salvation that we forget truly what it is that we possess as sons and daughters, children adopted into the family of God, and just subtly and easily we can make a foolish choice. So here's, here's where it really kind of makes sense to me anyway. 40 years after, after the big Sinai mountain experience, Moses is standing at the Jordan River in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And Moses stands there with all of those people who had the Sinai experience. And God says, you're not permitted to cross over because you refused and despised my instruction and my wisdom. Your children get to go over. Your grandchildren get to cross the Jordan and go inherit the promised land. Joshua and Caleb get to go, but the rest of you don't. So now imagine Moses in Deuteronomy 4. He begins to tell the children and grandchildren what their parents experienced in Exodus 20 that we just read about in verses 18 through 21. And Moses tells them this in the midst of this big, amazing speech. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There's none other besides him. Paul's right there. God was using that Sinai mountain experience to get the people's attention so that the people would say, there's, there, there's, there's no one like you. Wherever we go, we're going to hear about other gods. We're, we're going to meet new people, and they're going to have little statues and idols, and they're going to talk about the sun god, the moon god, and the star god. There's none besides you. We have trembled at the presence of your holiness and our unholiness. So Moses goes on to say, out of heaven, he let you hear his voice. They were children then. Now they're 30 and 40 and 50 years old. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might scare you to death. That he might cause you to be afraid the rest of your life and live in agony. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 4, he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you. On earth, he showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence and with his mighty power. Paul's right there. When you're reading Hebrews 12, it can feel like what just happened in verses 18 through 21. <laughs> Who is this God? But when we go back and we read the intentions of God's heart, he could not instruct people that despised him. 
So he got their attention, and now 40 years later, Moses wants everyone to know, here's what that was all about. He wanted to lead you so that you could find out how much he loves you. Fear is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, but it's not the end. 1 John chapter 4 says, look, fear involves torment. And the one who lives with fear hasn't been perfected by God's love. God wants us to be perfected by his love. But early on in life, if we make a decision that's foolish, then we're going backwards like Esau. So now, the paragraph did that in order to bring us to the next one. Verse 22 says, now I want you to look at Mount Zion. You weren't there for that really scary experience. You didn't come to the Mount Sinai dark, trembling experience, but you have come to Mount Zion. Pause. God is really wanting us to say, when I placed and when you placed your faith in his son's death, burial, and resurrection, you are heaven bound. Mount Zion in the city of the living God is your future home. And so here's the second observation. The reality of heaven is an indescribable thing. It's meant to fuel our trust and love for God on earth. So watch this. Let's, let's think about this. Verses 22 through 24 use so many little choppy sentences that we could really spend the next three or four hours just talking about what all is going on here. We're not going to do that. But the text is trying to get the people of God to say, this is incredible. It's more than I can describe. The peace of knowing that I'm not having to purchase an indulgence for my sins. The peace of knowing that I'm not having to rely on saying and praying and feeling and doing all the right things, none of which are written in Scripture, in order to get peace about my salvation is an indescribable thing. So now the text is trying to help us to say, this reality is meant to have a present right here, right now effect on our lives, especially when life is tough. Especially when your week was hard. Especially whenever the things that surrounded your week were things that were that got your attention so much that it almost felt like that's the only thing happening in the world right now is how difficult my situation is. God wants to sympathize with that and then blow us away with this reality so that our future reality becomes a motivating trust and love with and for God. Now, he doesn't want us to burn out. He doesn't want us to get weary and discouraged. He wants us to be fueled. So now, let's watch what happens next. As the text goes on, and it talks about the firstborn in verse 23. The text is bringing our attention to Esau was a firstborn son, and like Ethan said... Esau was a firstborn son. He was supposed to get a double portion. Well, now the text is pointing us to the blood of Jesus. And because of the blood of Jesus, we're all like the firstborn son. We're all getting more than a double portion of heaven. We're all granted in. And this is a big deal if you're a female. In the Old Testament, it was only the firstborn son. 
You got gypped, and you got gypped, and it's not that you got gypped, but you, you get what I'm saying. Now all the women in the church can raise a hallelujah and be like, this is, God wants to give us a du- more than a double portion because we're among the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. And then he says, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Judgment at Mount Sinai if it happened in that moment, was going to be a really scary thing. It was going to be doom and gloom for everybody. God wants us to look and be like, man, I don't have to fear judgment. Judgment sounds scary, but I can look forward to it because I'm going to be in the presence of all people made perfect by him. And then the text does this in verse 24. If you were in present day Jerusalem which is built upon Mount Zion, where at the back of that mountain, right outside the city walls, there's another mountain. It's a hill. It's a hill called Golgotha's Hill, the place of the skull. But we know it by a Latin word that came out of that Greek word, Calvary. It's a hill called Calvary. And so as we look to Mount Zion, we're reminded that something happened on that hill called Calvary that made all this happen. And there stands a cross. God's wrath crossed paths with God's love for you and for me and for the world. And so the text is now saying, look, do you remember whenever Cain killed Abel? Have you ever had someone do you wrong? Have you ever had someone go so far out of their way to hurt you that maybe within yourself all you felt and all you heard was Vengeance, justice, judgment. I mean, it's in our nature. This needs to be made right. And so the text now says, because of what happened on Golgotha's hill, wrath and love crossed, and Jesus bore the both. He bore the wrath, he bore the judgment so that the mercy could flow out and the grace could flow out. And so his blood speaks louder than that of Abel, which wants vengeance. His blood speaks out and says, I want the world to know my mercy. I want the world to know my grace. I want the world to know that forgiveness is readily available. And so the response of the people is simply this. God wants this text to speak to you and to speak to me in such a way that we're moved with gratitude, that we're moved with joy, that we're bursting with smiles on our, on our faces. I'm going to pause right there and think about, was anybody there Friday night kind of watching the football team win its third Smoky Mountain Conference title in a row, which hasn't happened in like, what, 30, 40 years? I didn't see a single person like Esau, crying their eyes out, wishing they could go back and do it over, at least on the Black Knight football team. There was joy and there was smiles because the victory had been won. God wants this text to move the people to an everlasting joy and an everlasting peace so that when God speaks, which is verse 25 next week, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. 
You and I don't have to be afraid of him when he speaks. The reality of heaven is meant to stir within us a joy and a peace that I want to hear from him. I expect to hear from him. And so here's what we're going to do as we close out service today. We're going to come to this table. And we're invited to celebrate. Not with dread, not with agony, and not with fear. Y'all can come on up. Not with worry and not with stress, but with hearts overwhelmed by the intentionality of God who has pursued us. And he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember not how scary I am, but how loved you are because of how loving I am for you. And so let the deacons and the elders come forward. I want to invite you for just a few moments to just to worship God and to sing about the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you. We invite you to go ahead and to stand as these men prepare the table and to just to take this moment to prepare your hearts for this table. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.